Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you're anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today we're talking ways in which the government reaches out for information to learn before releasing a final solicitation. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. Check it out at skywayacq.com. And let's get started. There are multiple ways, formal and semi-formal ways, that the government reaches out to industry for information to learn. They, they sound similar. They look similar. They can be easily confused. Today, we're going to talk about sources sought synopsis, request for informations, RFIs, draft request for proposals, DRFPs, and request for proposals, RFPs. We're going to talk about what they are and what the differences are between them and how they're handled. But before we do that, Kevin, let's stop and say thanks. Thanks this week goes to Greg Stoyakovich for liking and sharing one of our episodes, the contract closeout episode. Greg's a contract specialist at the Defense Contract Management Agency. He's in the Richmond, Virginia area. I want to thank Greg for sharing our podcast. Because when people like and share our episodes on LinkedIn, more people can find out about us. Thanks, Greg. We appreciate it. We're going to start in the informal end of the the spectrum of ways the government reaches out with sources sought and requests for information. At its most basic level, a sources sought synopsis or or announcement is exactly what it sounds like. We are interested in buying something like this. Who does this? What sources of this service or product exist out there in the market? Right. The, the sources sought is, can anybody do this? Send me your capability statement. S- send me something that says, okay, there's a company out there that can do this. It's very informal. A request for information is kind of a notch up from that because now I'm looking for something specific. I want, can you do this in this way, in this timeline? I, I, there's a lot of different things I can put into a request for information, but it's more narrow. It, it might be technical only of, can you do this? Can you solve this puzzle for us? It might be, can a small business do this, et cetera. There's lots of things that the government can pull out. And RFI can also be very, very broad. It, it, it can be a wide open request of, I have this problem and I have no idea how to solve it. So give me some ideas. It doesn't have to be limited to just one little piece of the problem or like you're saying, can a small business do this? Right. Whereas the source of thought is pretty blatant. It's a binary thing. <laughs> Can you do this or not? An RFI is an informal, though, though still official way for the government to do their market research. We'll dive right into the FAR. FAR 52.215-3 is request for information or solicitation for planning purposes. So when you post an RFI as FAR 15.209 instructs there's a clause that says, hey, we're asking you for information, but we may or may not ever award a contract here. We're trying to learn, right? And, and it uses the terms, send us your proposal. It, it uses the term offerer for people that respond to an RFI, but it doesn't mean that it's actually a proposal and it doesn't mean that they're actually good, they're going to award a contract. It's not time yet. And it even says, uh, your response will be treated as information only. Right. It's very clear on this is not necessarily going to turn into a contract. 
Yeah, this is the front end of market research. The government is trying to learn what capabilities does the commercial industry or, or the, even the government contractor industry, what capabilities do they have to solve my problems? How could it be solved? The government is trying to learn things like the number of qualified companies that can do this. How long is this actually going to take? Like we, we think this can be delivered in three weeks. It turns out that it's a three-month project. What kind of solutions are available? Is this a commercial item? All those kind of things. And then, of course, is this even feasible? Is the way that we want to solve this yeah. even doable? That, that goes back to your broad. It's like, here's our puzzle. Is this even solvable in the market that exists? Yeah, it could also be about how much would this cost? Is this yeah, a $10 problem? Is this a $100 problem? Is this a $100,000 problem? Yeah, I've gotten RFIs that I, I we thought it was a thousand dollar problem. Turns out it's like a fifty thousand dollar problem. Yeah. Glad we put out the RFI because it changed our strategy. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. You, you also want to learn whether or not small businesses could do this because if you're on the government side and you can set it aside for small businesses, you might not have quite as huge of a source selection or a, a just a selection process. This happens during the market research zone, right? This is the, you have a basic requirement in mind and you moved on to do market research and communications in the market research zone and on RFIs are wide open and encouraged back to the far, far 1.102-2A4 says the government must not hesitate to communicate with the commercial sector as early as possible in the acquisition cycle to help the government determine the capabilities available in the commercial marketplace. So the far says you must not hesitate to communicate. This is the basic level of the FAR, FAR part one. This is, this is not some squirrely, although you went down to 2A4, <laughs> but this is not some squirrely part that only applies to specific things. This is the kind of overview of this is what the FAR is expecting us to do. All right, moving up the line in complexity and formality is a draft request for proposals. A DRFP, it's, it's a formal but draft version of the RFP for an upcoming acquisition. And the, the reason it's a formal draft, well, that sounds like an oxymoron, is because this it may be very close to the expected final and the final version of the RFP, but the government wants to make it public, wants to publish it and say, here's what it's probably going to look like. That's why it's, it's, a, it's a formal draft, as opposed to just, hey, we have this draft in the corner, we haven't showed anybody. Sharing it and exposing it to fresh air to see what industry will do with it that's where this idea of a formal draft comes from. It's the last draft. Yeah. It's almost like getting free proofreading from the contractor <laughs> community, right? The government releases the thing and they get comments back on, uh, you, there's an extra space after this word. Um, Please spell check my RFP for me. Then. Did you know there's two page 14s here? Yes, we know, but t t tell us something useful. Anyway, <laughs> that, that's that's the way I always looked at it, right? If if you launch it too early, it looks like you don't know what you're doing, but man, will industry help you write it better. <laughs> they will find all of the things that don't connect. Government uses draft RFPs like like we're talking. It's it's a, it says a it's sort of a dry run. Throw this out there. Let industry get a good idea of what you're trying to buy and how you're trying to buy it and stay ahead of any issues that you don't want to discover after the final RFP is out. This is a flexible open communication period still. So you want to expose it to that fresh air, like you said, and have industry say, hey, if you release this RFP, this is what's going to happen. You're not going to end up buying what you think you're going to buy because of the way you wrote it. Or man, I would love to compete for this, but the way you wrote this, I'm I'm not eligible. Like I I I can't 
submit anything because it, it says you have to be, you know, this tall to ride this roller coaster and I'm one inch shorter. So if you just say, you know, the one inch shorter is allowed to ride, then I'm in. And the government's trying to learn, are, are we close to a final? And it could, could, could this be the final version going back to your, your, uh, your proofreading approach? And it's also things like evaluation criteria. Uh, do the evaluation criteria, are they going to lead to the desired outcome? And like you mentioned, the, the industry is the best arbiter of that. <laughs> I guess I'll say it that way. Yeah. Um, and, and does it, I'd rather find out now is, is whether the evaluation criteria unfa unfairly favors one offer over another, which is back to your, I'm one inch too short to ride this roller coaster. Is that I want to have that debate before the final RFP for lots of reasons, not the least of which is it's informal. I don't, I don't have to tell you why I made the decision. I just have to make the decision. After the RFP, everything I change, uh, it's so much more controlled. That moves us right into RFPs, request for proposals. This is where it gets serious. This is the final request for proposal that states exactly how offers are to submit their proposals, when they are to submit them, what format they're in, this is where the process shifts from the market research zone to now we've released the final request for proposal and we are in the RFP zone. And that's where communications changes. This is where it gets super formal. This is the, the this is formality right here. And communications get really locked down, very limited and controlled at this point for a reason. During this phase, the government is trying to learn which companies are going to propose the best solution to actually solve the problem? Like we're, we're the whole point of this process is to get a proposal that will lead to a solution, right? Well, this is that next stage. Like you said, this is the RFP zone. We're moving through the process. Now we need some proposals to be able to award a contract. Communications are strictly controlled in this phase and everything has to flow through the contracting officer. There's usually a, a, question and answer period where they say, submit your questions within five days and we will publish the questions for everyone to see in case there is something that, that's not quite clear in our request for a proposal. But the government can't have everybody on the government team talking to everyone in the industry and providing confusing or conflicting or information that might favor one over another at this point. So you don't get to just pick up the phone and call the contracting officer anymore. And, and this is industry's last chance to influence the selection criteria. And, and I would argue, as we talk about a lot on, on our, our podcast, during the requirement zone and the market research zone, there was a lot more chances. This is, you may really have no chance. And the last chance may be in the rearview mirror. It's, it's pretty uncommon for, for the RFP to change significantly during the RFP zone. However, it, it does happen. We, we spend a good amount of time helping our customers craft their questions during this zone. But realistically, the the work that went into the RFP before it became final, it's really where all the changes were made. So understanding to your point, Paul, of, of this controlled communication, it's going to greatly hinder your ability to influence because now the contracting officer gets to filter every question you have and they got to publish them all. Yep. Changes at this point require a formal RFP amendment and sometimes an extension in the uh, period yep. uh, that you're allowed to write your proposal. And that puts the whole schedule off and the government doesn't want to do that. And none of those are path of least resistance anymore. <laughs> right. All of these tools, RFIs, draft RFPs, RFPs, are important. These are the formal ways that the government communicates. And they're structured really for the convenience of the government, especially in the early phases, right? Why do they say, oh, that your RFI has to be 
your RFI response has to be five pages. Why do they say it has to be due on this day? Well, <laughs> as a contracting officer, you could get dozens of responses to, to to one of these requests. So having them in a similar format with a, a firm due date and kind of controlling the communications where, where you say, hey, I'm going to get these. Don't call me for a couple of weeks because I'm going to be reading them after that and making some decisions. <laughs> exactly. they, the, the government does that to make it more manageable, not, not because they, they love formality or formality is required uh, but you know, before the final RFP, at least they they do it for convenience to make make the job possible to do in the time allotted. It also adds context because to say, "Hey, how can you solve this puzzle?" You're going to get all kinds of different answers. Whereas if you put out an RFI that says, "Here's the puzzle we solved. Here's the timeline. Here's our here, here's how we how it's it seems like it's been done in industry." You're going to get more refined answers, and you're going to get answers to the same question. Which going back to your point, like the convenience factor is like I need to be able to organize the thoughts of industry in a way that I can move forward. And if they're all over the map, because I didn't give them any specificity to work from, it's gonna be a mess. Yeah, it kind of focuses the uh the industry folks on gi- giving you answers related to your problems rather than answers to everything that they might be able to solve for you. Exactly. Right? I'm not interested in everything right now. I'm just trying to solve this one. And from a from a documentation perspective, because again, government's got to document what they're doing. This creates artifacts that the government can use to to document the basis of their decision. Like the small business set aside decision. If I have a bunch of of RFI responses from a bunch of small businesses, that's the artifact that I'm going to use to justify why we set this aside for small business, or why we use a particular contract type, or or why we use certain evaluation criteria. I have industry's input that I can put in the file to say. Here's all the input I got from other people that I used to make this decision, yeah. as opposed to Kevin likes cost type contracts. Let's go with that. That's not a really effective strategy to get approved. Let's pause right here. Make sure that we identify where we are again, acquisition time zones and execution time zones talk. I think we've already said it three or four times, but to be clear, we're talking about the market research zone. And when the final RFP is released, that shifts you to the RFP zone. And that is right before the selection zone when you submit your proposal in response to the RFP and the government evaluates and picks a winner. And if you're not familiar with the acquisition time zones, we cover those in episode number three. All right, specifically on the government side, why does the government care? How, how do these tools, RFIs, DRFPs and RFPs, how, how do they help the government? Their, the RFI creates better communication. It, it, it better communicates the overall requirement uh, if, especially if, if it's not final, if you don't know what the requirement is going to end up being, you know what the puzzle you have to solve is, but have you defined it entirely, right? What is, what is the art of the possible? Yeah. And it also, the RFI gives, it gives the government a better understanding of what industry can actually do. Not what they think they can do, not what they did last contract, not what we did, what we did 10 years ago when we competed this last time, but what can they actually do now? The draft RFP fleshes that out a little more, uh, gets more specific, right? It gets specific enough that you can actually start picking apart problems in your potential acquisition strategy and in how you've written the request for a proposal. Is this going to buy me what I think I want to buy? And draft RFPs usually result in more formal feedback than an RFI does. There's something for industry to pick at, not just, not just provide answers to, to open questions. 
And I like to think of the draft RFP as, as more of a foreshadowing exercise to say, okay, if we release this, what would happen? <laughs> I mean, that goes back to your point of having industry proofread because if they, if they can't understand it, if you release that as a final RFP and they can understand it, bad things are going to happen. <laughs> and yeah. so it's kind of foreshadowing what the final is going to look like. And so if you think of it in terms of, if I share this now, expose it to fresh air and get industry's input now, it's a lot easier to fix than after the formal RFP is released and you have to amend the solicitation and answer all the questions formally. And yeah, draft RP really does help industry understand: Can I win this? This this is 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 this for me or is it not? And the government wants industry to understand that as early as possible because if they understand that, then you get fewer proposals to, it, to your final RFP and have you know not so much work to do to evaluate. You, you get fewer and better proposals. Yeah, exactly. Combination of those two variables is pretty awesome because I learned that later in my career how to do that properly. Right. When you get to the final RFP, you don't want to have open questions or surprises. Right. That's when it's real. That that's when it moves from. You're you're no longer saying, "Hey, industry folks, how should we describe this requirement? Help us help us understand it better." This is where you're actually describing it and saying. Send me a proposal that looks and smells exactly like this so that I can buy this. Flipping over to the industry side, why does industry care? All of these tools help industry win, right? This, this is how you understand what's going on. An RFI response is your formal opportunity to shape the upcoming solicitation. The government can't include in the final RFP what it doesn't know, right? Even if you told the customer that not not the contracting officer. We talk about the three deciders, right? You talk if you hold the customer, you you can do something when you respond to an RFI. Now it's formal. Now it's documented. Now they can map out the eventual RFP strategy based on documented evidence and artifact, right? This again, I'm collecting artifacts as a contracting officer. I don't just want opinions from the from the the customer. It's even better to have a document that says here's how it could be done. Here's the industry standard, etc. Yep. If you buy these, you don't want to just ask for two of them because if you buy five, it allows industry to to build things at scale, right? This is the point where it gets much less expensive for you if you do it this this way. And don't forget industry. At the RFI stage, your brain should already be turning like, how would I write a proposal to win this, right? This is the very beginning of thinking about the proposal way, way early in the process before the RFP has been released. When the draft RP comes out, this is where industry, like I said, we were talking more on the government side. This is where you start to figure out, is this for me? Can I win this based on the way it's written? And it's your opportunity to try to convince the government to change the way it's written so that you have a better chance to win. And if you, if you can't get them to change it, then you know, I probably shouldn't spend the time and money to submit a proposal to, when the final RFP comes out because it's not going to be for me. And you can start to track, look for indicators that the government listened. Yeah. So let's say in the RFI response, you said, hey, when you buy them in, in sets of five, it's less expensive. Well, lo and behold, here comes a draft RFP, and the requirement is to buy them in sets of five. That's an indicator. Yeah. <laughs> they actually listen. If it says two, to, <laughs> if it still says go. we want two of them, you're like, oh, all right. Or it says we will only buy these in sets of two, then they really weren't listening. Yeah, that, then you know they don't want you. They don't like it that way. You're also reviewing the draft RFP to assess whether or not the evaluation criteria are too restrictive or unclear. 
Like, how, how would the government actually select someone based on these criteria? Yeah, wh- why does the person have to be five foot tall to ride the roller coaster? Exactly. If it's not clear, yeah, that's, that, that's what we're talking about here. Four foot nine might be fine, right? When the draft RFP comes out, this is when industry is really starting to write their proposals. If you're not already laying it out and starting to write when the draft comes out, there's a good chance you're not going to have enough time to do a good job once the final comes out. And when the final request for proposal comes out, remember that you're past the point where you can really do marketing or do any, any realistic shaping of the acquisition to, to give your company a better chance to win. This is where it's locked in, your head's down writing a proposal against exactly what the RFP requested. And going back to those indicators, that you, you, now you're reviewing the, the look for the difference between the draft RFP and the final. Again, looking for indicators that they listened or did they say, you know what, now we only want one. You have to sell us one, okay, as opposed to a set of five. You're looking for, for indicators that was the government listening. Most companies, when the final RFP comes out, do a final bid, no bid decision. And mm-hmm. based on those indicators, right, they're, they're looking and going back to the five or two story, right, if, if all along they were expecting that we're going to buy five of these things because that's how we have the best chance to win, the final comes out, it says we're only going to buy two. The company has to decide, well, it's not our best chance. Should we spend the time and energy submitting a proposal for two? Or are we better off saying, no, this is wired for someone else. Let's, let's not bid. And, and this is a hard decision. We talk about this in the targeting episodes a lot. But regardless of the size of the company, the size of the organization, proposals are still a heavy lift. Yeah. Whether you're, you're, you're a giant organization that only does four a year or you're a small organization that only does four a year relative to the amount of time that they're going to take. This is a critical decision. And one of the best ways to make it is to look at the difference between the draft RFP and the RFP or anything that happened before the RFP and what's in that final. Because if they weren't listening to you at all, that is probably the loudest indicator you're going to find that you're not the lead horse. Yeah, we all fall for the sunk cost fallacy. We think, wow, we spent a year chasing this and trying to shape it. So we've put so much time and energy into it. We have to write a proposal. We have to submit a, a proposal now. Yeah, you, you really you really don't. You've already spent that money whether you win or lose. Why spend more if you know you're going to lose or if you suspect that the government has shifted the RFP in a way that makes it harder for you to win? All right, Kevin, let's wrap this up. RFIs and draft RFPs and the other pre-final solicitation, final RFP events and techniques are not required. And everything before the final RFP can be much more informal than the RFP. As a contracting officer, like you said, I don't, I don't have to use the, the, dra- the RFI or the draft RFP. Part of the reason that I started using them more is I realized that there, there isn't like a requirement of it has to look 99% like the final RFP. Pick pieces of it that you can communicate with industry. The RFI can cover one tiny thing, like should we evaluate past performance in the following way? It doesn't have to cover everything. They can be just tiny little pieces of information that help you craft your strategy. But the more you do them and the sooner you do them and the smaller you do them, the more effective they are. Yeah, the draft RP can come out in little tiny pieces. Like you said, here's the draft statement of work. Here's the draft evaluation criteria. They can come out at different times. Just get the information out there. You don't have to wait until you have a complete 
draft RFP to expose it to fresh air. And industry folks, don't forget, if the final RFP is the first time you hear about an opportunity and you see that there was a draft RFP release before and there were RFIs up the road in the past as well, you're probably too late to, to win, to, to write a compelling proposal and win this one. You, you might want to pass. Remember that these should be compounding on each other. Uh, we talked in episode 318 about the gas gauge, where the, where the customer goes from being unaware to aware of you, and then they're curious, and then they're interested, and then they're committed. If the RFI, then a draft RFP, then the RFP don't feel like they went from curious to interested to committed, Again, those are indicators that you're not going to win this. So understand that it's a good time to walk away. But look for these patterns of compounding communication over these these uh, informal communication processes the government uses. Because if you don't see them listening to you, that's a huge indicator. That, that's the tool. That's the value of these to industry is they're telling you how much did they hear me? And yeah. if the answer is zero, ugh, they don't want your proposal. <laughs> as harsh as that sounds. It's true. It's true. All right, Kevin, that's it for today. I'll talk to you later. All right. I'll see you, Paul. Thanks for joining us today on the Contracting Officer Podcast. Quick reminder, Skyway's team of former contracting officers can guide you through the process of responding to RFIs and draft RFPs. Go to skywayacq.com or give us a call at 877 884 5280 to learn more about Skyway's custom consulting and training. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next week.